Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 11, Gingerbread. Do you like gingerbread houses, Stephanie? Hell yeah, I do. I love building them. I love eating them. I love the process of eating them while you build them. It's really, really fun. <laughs> How about you? I like like soft ginger snaps. I'm really good at making them. Those are, are one of my ready? favorite recipes for cookies. Hard gingerbread can be okay. Um, you got to dunk it in something. As yeah. far as the gingerbread houses go... I don't know. I don't like how like the candy gets really hard after a while. You got to basically eat it while you build it. I think that's the right philosophy here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you definitely don't go in 10 days later to start munching away on that dusty house, you know. <laughs> got to say, I am disappointed by the lack of gingerbread in this episode. Yeah, I'm a little confused too. I was thinking they would also be munching on the gingerbread man or something throughout the ep, but they weren't. That didn't stop me from enjoying this episode though, and I was telling you, Kara, before we watched it, I said, I actually have a very soft spot for this episode. And I'm pretty sure this episode is like, if you were to like rank it on the best to worst season three episodes, I'm sure it wouldn't make the top half of best episodes, but I've always liked this mm -hmm. episode. I think it's really funny. It's very memorable. Lots of quotable quotes in this one. Uh, I, I got nothing bad to say about it, really. But maybe that remains to be seen until the end of our recording. Who knows? Yeah, well, let's get into it then. <laughs> Let us begin. Buffy is walking the streets of Sunnydale at night, and she's hearing a noise, so she pulls out her stake. And guess who it is? It's a wild Joyce. <laughs> a wild Joyce appears. <laughs> a stoner Joyce has come out of the bush to say, is it a vampire? And Buffy says, Mom, what are you doing here? And Joyce says, I brought you a snack. And Kara, sure enough, Joyce has brought Buffy dinner in a bag. <laughs> has Joyce been listening to our podcast? Absolutely. She gets high and puts it on every Thursday. <laughs> So she, I just thought it was so funny. I'm like, there it is. There's a, there's dinner in a bag from Joyce. I love the Summers girls. Uh, and Joyce says, I thought it's time that I come and watch you slay. It's such a big part of your life. I'd like to understand it. It's something we can share. And like, you know what? Good for you, Joyce. Honestly. She, she's so precious. Yeah. Right? She's like trying. she's just trying. And she's trying. it's very different from the first season where she was listening to parenting books on tape and then one moment she's volunteering to drive Buffy to the bronze and the next moment she's like, you can't go to the bronze or what outfit are you wearing? And it's just like so inconsistent. And now at least she's trying to be supportive. She's trying to understand Buffy's world. Yeah, you know, It's not cool to have your mom along for the slaying, but that's very typical for moms of Joyce's caliber. So good job, Joyce. <laughs> yeah, we'll find um, a lot of things about, if there's anything we need to know about Joyce in this episode, it's that she's mobilizing. You know, this woman is 
getting involved. So that's when a vampire jumps out and Buffy starts fighting it. And I was laughing so hard at the scene because she's fighting it and Joyce is like, good, honey, kill him. <laughs> like he's over there. And then, oh my God, she looks at the vampire and she's like, it's Mr. Sanderson from the bank. <laughs> and like, I, I could go for Joyce's commentary on Buffy's fighting any episode. <laughs> I thought it was so good. So the vampire runs away and Buffy chases it and tells Joyce to stay there. And Joyce is like, oh, but I wanted to watch you slay. And, and then she sees, oh my God, two dead children on the playground. I don't know what they're on. I don't think I don't have the name for it, that twirly thing. Do you know what that, that's called? <laughs> it's not a swing. It's not a slide. It's a twirly, twirly I want to say it's called a merry-go-round. No, there's no animals or things to sit on. It's like one of those things you hold on tight and it just spins you. It is called a merry-go-round. It's it also is. called a playground spinner or a roundabout there. or a carousel. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, well, it's we're like, both it's, right. <laughs> it's the, the impoverished version of a merry-go-round when you can't afford the massive machine of death. Um, <laughs> but can you tell that I don't like merry-go-rounds? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, wow, what do you really feel about merry-go-rounds? <laughs> sure. Uh, anyway, oh my gosh, there are dead children and Joyce is stunned and there's a symbol on their hands cut to credits so after the credits the cops are on the scene taking pictures of the bodies roping stuff off you know cop stuff and joyce is watching this all go down while buffy talks to a cop and then buffy goes to joyce and says we can go home now and joyce is traumatized she's like they're just little kids did you see them so tiny who could do something like this and Buffy's just like, you know, I'm sorry you had to see this, but I promise everything's going to be okay because I'm going to find out whatever did it. And Joyce says, yeah, but can you make it right? So Buffy hugs her and Joyce starts crying and Buffy says, I'll take care of everything. I promise. Just try to stay calm. And then we cut directly mm. to the next scene where Buffy's shouting at Giles, don't tell me to calm down. <laughs> I do like that transition. Yeah, You know, this idea that Buffy's being strong for her mom in the moment. But then as this scene goes on, right, we we can see that Buffy herself is is freaked out, right? Because she's like, they were kids, Giles. And I have to say, like, at this up until now, we haven't seen a lot of kid deaths. Obviously, there was Colin. Rest in peace, Colin. Yeah. Um, but the show has been fairly light on the kid death, right? Like, it's mostly been adults, you know. <laughs> bankers asian stunt people like they allude to a lot of children death but they don't show it you're right like i mean except for like killed by death in the hospital (laughs) there are dead children in that episode uh we know that angelus killed some kids at one point and left their dad to find Mm -hmm. them so like there's they allude to it well and even in killed by death though we saw how upset buffy got right so clearly this is a sore spot for her yes you know so she's like giles like get it together and giles apologizes he's like do we know how they were killed and that's when buffy remembers the symbol that you mentioned that we saw just before the credits so she's able to sketch it which good visual memory buffy good for you um and giles is of course you know i'm going to use my image matching algorithm to find it in my my library here i'm right on it um (laughs) and he points out something that i think all of us kind of would jump to right away, which is that this kind of symbol suggests it was a ritual sacrifice, right? Like you don't just kill somebody and put a symbol on their hands. There's got to be a purpose behind it. So he's like, it's an occult thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Buffy doesn't like the sound of that because it would be easier for her if it were just a mindless, soulless monster that's just going around killing kids because she could kill it right away. But if it's, you know, if it's humans doing it, that makes it messier because she can't go around killing humans. So Giles is like, yeah, I'm sorry. This could be more complicated. And Buffy suggests, as he continues his research, could you maybe find a loophole in that whole slayers don't kill people rule? Which, (laughs) like, is that a rule? I'm not saying it's bad that it's a rule. I'm just saying I feel like that's something that Buffy decided. Yeah, like an unspoken Buffy rule for sure. Yeah, but then that's when Giles, like, he, he actually is caught off guard by that right by Buffy suggesting she can kill people and he's like I think you're you're mm-hmm. getting letting this get personal because your mother's involved right and Buffy's like it is personal find me the people who did this please so you know tensions are high because those two little kids are dead yeah like this episode you know the way it starts off with Joyce emerging from the bushes with dinner in a bag it's a really <laughs> funny opening yeah this episode gets serious and dark really fast so that, that's something I found interesting about the tone of this episode is just how it descends into darkness quite steeply and sharply. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, there is humor and we are going to cover that. Don't worry. We're going to laugh along with you. But for an episode where the enemy isn't like somebody that's already been established or anything, you know, it's not coming from that interpersonal conflict. This is a dark episode. Yeah, I agree with you. Um we are in the cafeteria and Xander and Oz are getting food in line and Xander's super awkward. Cause let's not forget everybody. Xander cheated on Cordelia and Willow cheated on Oz with each other. Like Xander and Willow were making out. <laughs> and now here he is next to Oz getting food and Xander should be awkward about it. He is. They sit at a table together and they're joined by Willow and Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Amy. It's been a while, but there you are. So I wonder if she's going to be, you know, central to this episode or not. Hard to tell. Um, Oz says, I haven't seen you all day. Where have you been to Willow? And he says it very innocently, right? He's just asking like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you. Like, where, where, how's your day, you know? And Xander just jumps in and says, not with me. No, sir. Ask anyone. And like, they all get super awkward, obviously. And they just stare at each other. And Oz is the one who changes the conversation. He says, so Buffy's birthday next week. And this just reminded me, I was like, oh, Kara, it's been a year since surprise. It's been almost a year Mm -hmm. since our sweet Buffy had sex with Angel and then it all went to hell. For us, it just feels like a few months have gone by. It just feels like a a simple couple of months or a summer, perhaps. But um, happy anniversary, everybody. Uh, Xander says... I've been pondering gift options and that's when Willow shushes him because Buffy is coming up behind him and Xander's like, oh, come on, we just came up with a topic here. So we have have a little glimpse into what Xander's struggling with internally, like we fucking care, but there it is. He's going to be struggling with this throughout the episode. So Buffy comes over and says, did you hear about the little kid murders? Like they were seven and eight years old and her mom found the bodies while they were on patrol the night before. And Xander asks, why was Joyce there? And Buffy said that she picked that night of all nights for a surprise bonding visit. And Willow's shocked by this. And she mentions that her mom, no, she says, um, your mom would actually take the time to do that with you. And then she's like, oh, that really wasn't the point of the story. But Willow's talking about her mom. We, we, I don't think we've ever heard Willow talk about her mom before, but she talks about her a couple times leading up to 
later yeah, in the episode. Yeah, she's mentioned her parents once or twice. You know, they're Jewish. Her dad wouldn't understand why she has a crucifix on her wall. Yeah, Ira. <laughs> she's not allowed to have boys in her room, right? So, like, we've had the impression so far that Willow has an upbringing where her parents expect a lot from her academically. They have set some clear boundaries or rules for her. She's a good girl. She follows those rules. But they're not very present in her life in a nurturing capacity. And, you know, that's not surprising. Like, I have lots to say about Willow's mom as we go throughout this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is the first time that she's bringing her up. And Buffy is saying that Joyce has been wigging out. And Joyce, sure enough, is right behind her in the cafeteria. And she's, like, saying to the Scoobies, like, oh, last night was so awful. I had bad dreams about it all night. Hi, everybody. <laughs> So she is, again, she's traumatized, so she's come to the school and is visibly shaken by what she saw. And Buffy, she asks Buffy if Giles has found anything, and Buffy says he thinks it might be something ritual, like an occult, but he's still looking. And Joyce is like, occult? Like witches? And of course, Willow is chokes on what she's drinking, and Amy is uncomfortable. And Joyce is like, I know you kids think that stuff's cool. Buffy told me that you dabble. <laughs> But anybody who could do this isn't cool. Anybody who could do this has to be a monster. And I was like, thanks, Joyce, for telling us it's not drugs cool. Drugs aren't cool, kids. <laughs> I know you dabble in those party drugs. But just remember that yeah. if you take too many drugs, you'll roid out into a monster <laughs> and kill people. I know. I was laughing. I was like, what would I have done if my friend's mom came and was just like, oh, I know you guys listen to rap music, but it's not cool <laughs> or something like that. Um but then I'm trying to, I'm I'm thinking because Joyce is so visibly shaken that she's so visibly uncomfortable with what she saw last night, they're giving her a lot of space and they're like, you know, these look, they look really serious and are allowing her to talk. And Buffy excuses them and takes her mom to the hallway. And as they leave, Xander expresses actual sympathy, it would appear, for Buffy, where he says, you know, Buff's mom was starting to accept the whole Slayer thing and now she's going to be double freaked. And Willow, again, mentions her mom and says, makes me grateful that my mom's not great, not interested in my extracurricular activities or my curricular activities. So there's another um, another little glimpse. And I was like, mm -hmm. Willow, let's not forget that Amy's mom switched bodies with her and tried yeah, to murder so, you all. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really glad you brought that up, Stephanie, because I had that in my notes. Almost the exact same thought was, it's really insensitive of Xander and Willow to be talking about mothers in this way because Amy has gone through so much trauma with her mom mm -hmm. uh, and what happened with her mom, right? Like her mom literally, like you said, tried to steal her, her life, was not so, like the opposite of supportive. Yes. Um, so uh, kind of like be aware of the possible triggers for your friends, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you have every right to express, you know, your sympathy for Buffy or you know, your own problems with your mom. But again, you guys, like Amy's mom is trapped in a trophy somewhere and they don't even know that, you know what I mean? So in the hallway, Buffy's telling Joyce that this isn't the best place to talk. And I really like how she says it. She says like, when I'm here, it's about school and you're about home. And he mixed them, my world dissolves. <laughs> and I mean, it's so dramatic. I mean, that's totally fair. I think it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think it's good that Buffy's setting boundaries with her mom. Yeah, I 
like it. I think I like that line because I think it's just such a high school, like teenage girl thing to say. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember when my mom or dad would come to the school, it's like, it's like fucking humiliating and you don't even know why, but you're like, why are you here? You know what I mean? This is my space. So Joyce, she's like, I have to help. So she called everybody she knows in town told them about the dead children and they're just as upset as Joyce and then they called their friends and they're setting up a vigil for tonight at City Hall she says the mayor is gonna be there and we're going to get some action and Buffy's like okay but you know what like a lot of times when we work on stuff like this we like to keep the numbers of people that know of it you know kind of small and Joyce is like oh well you know I'm sure they there won't be that many people Sure enough, cut to the vigil at City Hall that night. It is packed. There's like 70 to 80 people there. They all have signs with these dead children's faces on them. They have candles. And Buffy and Willow are walking through it. And Buffy's acknowledging like that there's a lot of people. And Willow says, at least your mom's making an effort. My mom's probably standing right in front of me right the second. Mom? And there's Willow's mom. There she is. And they look alike, in my opinion. I'm like, yeah, they look like mom and mom and daughter. Yeah. And sh she says, Willow, I didn't know you were going to be here. Hi, bunny. <laughs> like talking to Buffy. Well, that tells us everything we need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's she's saying how um, she read about this in the paper and with your dad out of town. Oh, you cut your hair. That's a new look. <laughs> and Willow's like, oh, yeah, it was a sudden whim I had. In August. And sure enough, Cara, like when we commented on Willow's hair, it was the first episode of season three because we're like, oh, she has a shorter haircut. <laughs> we love Willow more than her mom. We'll be your mom's Willow. Oh, so it, it's so funny because then Joyce comes over and she's like, hello, Joyce. And Joyce calls her Sheila. So her name's Sheila. Right. And I, I want to point out, we took like a whole season to learn Joyce's name. This Sheila bitch comes on. The, the screen for like yeah. 30 seconds and we learn willow's mom's name right away so i i assume i i feel like this is the writers <laughs> acknowledging how remiss they were in season one not to give joyce a name right away and they just wanted to be like okay it's willow's mom we're not going to call her willow's mom for the whole episode what's her name it's sheila it's okay sheila. hi it. sheila like right away Got it out of there. Like, okay. This Sheila on. son of a bitch waltzes in with a first name, first scene she's in. What is this? That's progress, I guess you could call it. Um, so that's when Giles comes up. And damn, I love this adult drama. Giles comes in and him and Joyce are face to face. And she's like, it's been a while. And Giles is like, right, not since, not for a while. And they're talking about band candy, obviously, when they did it. And Sheila says, there's a rumor going around, Mr. Giles. And Giles is like, a rumor about us? About about what? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Giles. But if you keep acting jumpy and suspicious like that, there will be. It's so funny. Um, Sheila says, it's about witches. People calling themselves witches are responsible for this brutal crime. And Giles is like, strange. And Willow's like, yes, strange. Witches. <laughs> like, <laughs> And... Sheila starts saying how she recently co-authored a paper about the rise of mysticism mysticism amongst adolescents. And I was shocked at the statistical dot, 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 dot. But then the mic starts um, warming up or however you would say it. And someone starts talking. But 
let's focus in on what she just said there. So she co-authored a paper, mm-hmm. like clearly Willow's mom and possibly her father as well. They're obviously academics of some sort. Later in the episode, I would like after we get to know Sheila a little bit more, I might guess that she's a psychiatrist or a psychologist or something. Um, They never really say, uh, or they don't refer to her as doctor or anything. I think that's a reasonable inference. Yeah. So anyway, she she, she uses a lot of these references and language of like an academic. So it's the mayor. The mayor's at the podium and he's like, hello, everybody. And Joyce says to Buffy, he'll do something about this. You'll see. And this is the first time I believe that Buffy's actually seeing the mayor. Right, because I I know he was that we in, know of I that mean, we know of yeah maybe she's seen him somewhere off screen but this is the first time they're seeing in each other room. on screen yeah mm-hmm. and we assume the mayor knows who Buffy is so his speech is basically saying you know thanks for coming in the aftermath of this tragic crime like your typical politician kind of speech uh, we have our share of misfortunes but we're a good town with good people and I know none of us will rest easy until this horrible murder is solved. And then he says, I pledge to you never again. And he holds up the sign of the kids. And then he introduces Joyce Summers, who is the woman who brought everyone there tonight. And Joyce goes to the podium and says, Mr. Mayor, you're dead wrong. And everyone's like, because, you know, what a statement. (laughs) And Joyce just like gives it to it. He's like, she's like, this is not a good town. How many of us have lost someone who just disappeared or got skinned? She mentions neck rupture as well. And she says, how many of us have been too afraid to speak out? She said she was supposed to lead a moment of silence, but silence is this town's disease. For too long, we've been plagued by unnatural evils. This isn't our town anymore. It belongs to the monsters, witches, and slayers. So... Giles, Buffy, and Willow are horrified that she would say that out loud. And she says, the grownups need to take Sunnydale back. I say we start by finding the people who did this and make them pay. And the adults start cheering. (laughs) I relate to this because I actually have mob mentality. I don't know if you knew that about me. But like, if if I'm in the crowd and people are like getting riled up, I'll get riled up too. I'll I'll feel it. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I'll have to watch out for that when we're in a crowd together and like pull you away and like, I'll like slap you and I'll be like, get it together, (laughs) Steph. I would appreciate that because I just like, yeah, yeah, why why are we here? Yeah, (laughs) I get really jacked up, you know? (laughs) That's why I fall into cults so easily. Praise Moloch. Cut to a room with skulls, <laughs> candles, and a man wearing lipstick. And which stuff? Which stuff is happening, Kara? Right after we found out that witches killed these kids. So witches, witches here. So Amy and Willow are also there, and they have the symbol that was on the kids' hands. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what is they doing? I mean, at this point, I'm thinking like, is Willow up to something evil? Like. At this point, with Willow cheating on Oz, all bets are off. Like, I'm willing to believe she could go to the dark side because she's cheated on the most perfect man in existence. Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. else is she capable of? I don't know at this point. So yeah. I'm thinking like, whoa, like, is Willow up to no good? And maybe she's a bad guy now. Yeah, what are these, what are these three witches up to? So... The man witch (laughs) is at his locker uh, the next day at school and a group of jockey jocks start harassing him and saying, you know, did you you smudge your eyeliner? You're going to put a spell on me? I just want to point out that Steph wrote man witch like sandwich in (laughs) 
her notes here. I was very confused until she read it out loud. And now I'm like, I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's why like I started laughing because I'm like, oh, look how funny I am. <laughs> So it's just me laughing at my own jokes. Uh, no change there. So um, Amy's with him and she's like, what's your problem? And the guy, the jock with all his buddies push this man witch up against the locker. And they say, everyone knows that he's into this voodoo witch crap. People like him got to learn a lesson. And Amy's like, well, what about people like me? And he says, get in my face and you'll find out. And of course, that's when Buffy comes up behind Amy and she doesn't have to say anything. She just She, she looks. like slides into the frame, tilts her head and smiles sassy-like. And it's, it's a power move. It is. It's so powerful. And all the guys literally back off. They're like, no problem here. And we're walking and they leave. And I love it. Yeah. And, you know, Amy... Amy and this guy say thank you and they walk away and Cordy, for some reason, comes up to Buffy and says, you're going to be one busy little slayer babysitting them. And Buffy says, I doubt they'll have any more trouble. And Cordelia says, I doubt your doubt. Everyone knows that <laughs> witches killed those kids and Amy is a witch and Michael is whatever the boy of witches. <laughs> it's a man witch. And... If you're going to hang out with them, expect badness, because that's what you get when you hang out with freaks and losers. Believe me, I know. And then as she walks away, she turns around and she says, that was a pointed comment about me hanging out with you guys. <laughs> so once again, Cordelia telling it how it is. Uh, I'm not saying she's right. I'm just saying like she, she doesn't sugarcoat anything. No tact. She's just like, here's what I think. And I love how obvious she is, right? And how she's like, she she can't be subtle about it. She's like, that was a pointed comment. I'm just like, oh. once again, like, I'm not always on Cordelia's side, but I appreciate how she does what she does. I understand her and I respect her. Yes, I can't help it. Even when she's decided to, I'm, I'm just going to start bullying again, or I'm going to be a bitch for no reason. There is a confidence to it <laughs> and she's true she's truly just being herself and buffy shouts after her witches didn't do it and giles who watched that whole exchange he just like i just like when giles set stands back and waits for the teenager drama to be over <laughs> but like you know he's not gonna interrupt it but he's gotta wait for his I, turn i mean that is, from a teacher's point of view i have to say that is bad that you're just being a bystander <laughs> and not stopping the bullying um bad mr giles but yeah so i liked how buffy was like we just didn't do it like, <laughs> it was it was this weird moment for me of like the the supernatural elements buffy being the slayer mixing with her high school life and i don't know it just it reminded me of a disney channel show where it's like the kids are secretly crime fighters but during the day they have to go to school and it's like they'll talk about the crime fighting stuff at school like I don't know. It just this was a very Disney Channel moment, and then, like you said, she bumps into Giles, and Giles is like, "Actually," <laughs> and says, um, "I'm sorry, Buffy, but all of my lines of research are bringing me back to European Wiccan covens." He's like, "I think there's a piece of information, but it's in a book that Willow borrowed. So, can you find it?" And I don't know why Giles can't just talk to Willow and get <laughs> yeah, the book. Like, you do it. <laughs> 
Are you busy? I've had enough teenager interaction for the day. He's like, watch that go down. He's like, nope, back to the library for me. Um, Poppy goes and finds Xander in the student lounge. And she asks if Willow's around. And Xander's like, how can I convince you people that it's over? You assume because I'm here, she's here, that I somehow mysteriously know where she is. And Buffy's like, well, are those her books? And Xander's like, yeah, she's in the bathroom. But he goes on to say that the fact that I know that doesn't change that I have a genuine complaint here. I'm sick of the judgment, the innuendos. Is a man not innocent until proven guilty? And Buffy calls him out and she's like, you are guilty. You got illicit smoochies. You're going to have to pay the price. Yes, 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 go Buffy. Like the the immediacy of her reaction there right she doesn't miss a beat she's just like you are guilty and i'm like <laughs> yes tell it how it is buffy preach girl yes because remember in the wish i was bitching because i was like buffy's letting him off the hook too easily because willow actually feels guilty and bad and is like wallowing in her guilt xander didn't want to so here we are three episodes later and xander is expressing that he's feeling guilty it's like well good xander and willow doesn't have to feel guilty anymore because her and oz are back together I will say this is a very consistent way in terms of his character for Xander to process his guilt, which is to turn everything into a joke. Yeah, that, um, fair. And I will say that Xander has actually some pretty funny jokes in this episode, but he's talking about the future guilt is what he's saying. He says, everyone expects me to mess up again. Oz, I see how he is around me. That steely gaze, that pointed silence. It's different now. It's a verbal, nonverbal. He speaks volumes with his eyes. So again, like, I just want to say, like, Xander, he sounds pissed that he's still being held accountable for what he did to Cordelia. But it's like, you're, you should, and you should feel guilty for the way Oz, who's much more mature than you, has let you off the hook basically without even a conversation it sounds like but you know that that's not right because xander if the tables were turned and cordelia and oz had been making out behind your back you would have been an asshole about it for sure you would have made it a big big deal so the fact that oz isn't because he just wants to move on and be happy with willow like i just this whole affair was too much for me (laughs) so i'm glad that it's over but like xander the fact that you're feeling guilty now like you should be feeling guilty and buffy's not letting you off the hook and i'm glad for it buffy is looking through willow's stuff and she sees a symbol with the dead kids and willow comes up to her and buffy's like well what is this This is the symbol that was on the murdered children and willow of course gets defensive and she's like oh that's a doodle i do doodle you too you do do you do do you do doodle too (laughs) and yeah it's really hard to say and um that's when the police come. The police are in the hallways of school and they're searching students' lockers and confiscating books and things that are related to magic. And Snyder is watching over everything happening. And Xander compares this to Nazi Germany and says he's got playboys in his locker. And Snyder is saying... (laughs) This is a glorious day for principals everywhere. No pathetic whining about students' rights. Just a long row of lockers and a man with a key. And Oz is telling Willow and Buffy that um, they already took three students away. And Amy says that they're looking for witch stuff. And they have her spells and she has to report to Snyder's office. And that's when a policeman or detective Uh, takes her away so willow's freaking out she goes to buffy and she says i have stuff in my locker henbane hellebore mandrake root 
And Xander brings up the fact here. He's like, what about me? I've got Playboys in my locker. And I was like, Xander, there are actual problems here. Okay, your friend's freaking out. Yeah, I, I, it's so insensitive of Xander to just make everything about him. It's, newsflash, Xander, not everything is about you. Also, why do you have Playboys in your locker at school, Xander? Disgusting. <laughs> I'm sure he's just reading them for the article. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's like finished all of the occult books that he was going through for naked picture pictures of ladies like he did in season <sighs> one. So... They're going through Cordelia's locker and they take out her hairspray and Cordelia's like, get your grubby custodial hands off that. It's $45 and it's imported. And she's like losing it. <laughs> and Willow's pleading with Buffy. She's saying her locker's next. The symbol is harmless. I used it to make a protection spell for you for your birthday with Michael and Amy. Only now it's broken because I told you about it. But happy birthday and please, you have to believe me. So Snyder walks up to Willow and says, Miss Rosenberg, my office, and he holds up the roots that he found in her locker. So Buffy takes the witch book from from Willow and Oz escorts Willow to Snyder's office. Yes, I just love how Oz falls in line with her. It doesn't mm -hmm. say anything, you know, it doesn't need to say anything. Just moral support. He's like, I got your back. Yeah. I love it. Just support. So... In the library, all of Giles's pitiful occult reference library, according to Mrs. Post. <laughs> Gwendolyn Post called it pitiful, yet here it is being confiscated. And Giles is super pissed about this. And Buffy comes and tells him that the symbol is harmless and there's something they're missing. Like, why would it turn up in a ritual sacrifice? And Giles says, I don't know. Ordinarily, I'd say let's widen our research, but he can't. <laughs> so... He starts ranting about Snyder. He's like, Snyder's interfered before, but I won't take this from that twisted little homunculus. And Snyder comes in and says, ah, I love the smell of desperate librarian in the morning. <laughs> and I do love Snyder when he's in his element. I think he's like dripping in power right now. He loves this shit. And Giles says, get out and take your marauders with you. And Snyder's like, oh my, so fierce. <laughs> And he picks up a book and he says, just how is blood rights and sacrifices appropriate material for a public school library? Chess club branching out. And to be fair, Kara, you and I have mentioned this before. We said, why are all these books in this library out in the open? It's so weird. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I'm having, I had feels during these sequences, you know, because censorship is still a real and present issue nowadays especially in the States, there is a, another wave this past couple of years of people challenging books, especially books to do with um, 2S LGBTQ plus identities, books that deal with science, especially climate change. So, so there are parents who are stacking school boards because like with the elections and stuff of school, of school board trustees, and basically trying to get books removed from classrooms uh, and even going after teachers for, for teaching, you know, anti-racism and stuff. So I, I not like I understand what you're saying. I agree but <laughs> these books probably aren't appropriate for a high school library. But this scene for me was very chilling because of all the stuff that goes on in this episode, it is the most realistic, mm -hmm. the most true to life part of this episode is there are people in positions of power, especially in the U.S., but also here in Canada, who will, if they are given the opportunity, remove books. Um, and, and 
they want to suppress not just knowledge, but they want to make it a crime. They want to censure people for talking about issues of social justice because it makes them uncomfortable, you know, and Snyder is a good example of that. He's not even a white moderate. He is the white guy who is the face of the establishment. So I, I think the episode does a really good job of portraying how dangerous, like you were talking about earlier, that mob mentality is. Because a lot of the time what happens is people who ratify these complaints and, and try to get books removed haven't even read the books. You know, they've just heard from a friend that there's two boys kissing and it's bad. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, that's what's happening here is, is nobody's really stopped to question anything that's going on. They're just going along with it and it's picking up steam and it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And like historically, obviously, to the present day, this is a huge issue. And it's obviously graced over here because the, the book that Snyder happened to pick up was Blood Rights and Sacrifices. So it's an extreme. But, um, you know, books have been banned for much less. So Giles mm -hmm. says that this is not over. And Snyder says, I'd say it's just the beginning. Fight if you want. But just remember, lift a finger against me and you'll have to answer to Moo. And Buffy's like, Moo? Did that sentence make sense that I'm not in on? And Snyder says, <laughs> mothers opposed to the occult, a powerful new group. And Buffy says, who came up with that lame name? And Snyder says, that would be the founder. I believe you call her mom. <laughs> and I, again, I really like Snyder in this scene. I think when he has all the power in the situation, he comes off as really good. Well, that's the thing, right? Is he has this complex <laughs> partly because of his height i'm assuming he's bald he's you know like he's got this whole like thing he needs that power and he he loves wielding his power he basks in it but at the same time he's a very insecure little man so yes. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out in the rest of the season so we cut to willow's house we don't go i think it's interesting we don't go directly to buffy's house for the confrontation with her mom that's coming up next but we cut to willow's house and her mom is there. She's sitting on the couch in the living room and she's looking at Willow's witch stuff because, you know, the school informed her mom. Um, and Willow's like, I know what this looks like. <laughs> and Sheila interrupts and says, oh, you don't have to explain. This isn't a surprise because, of course, as we learned in the previous scene, Sheila has been doing academic research on this very subject. So she launches into this whole little speech about how identification with mythical icons is perfectly typical of adolescents in your age group. <laughs> and Willow's like, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and Sheila's like, I mean, I wish you'd identified with something less icky, but, you know, this is normal according to my research. And mom, <laughs> Willow, I, I love this line. She says, mom, I'm not an age group. I'm me. I'm Willow. Willow group. Yeah. And like the way she delivers it, right? Like this is a plea for Sheila to see Willow, to actually see her as a person, an individual. And I think what we are learning in the scene is that Willow's parents are so immersed in academia. We don't know what her dad does, but maybe he's also a psychiatrist. And maybe they're so immersed in researching children and adolescent development that they just see their daughter as another data point. Yeah, like Willow's saying, I'm not a statistic mom. I'm your daughter. I'm Willow. And it's so significant. And this, like, just that beginning of the scene, 
shows us what this dynamic is and what it's been probably for her whole life where she's kind of screaming for her parents' attention. And it's one thing too to think that Willow being this good girl, Willow always obeying the rules and clearly following mm-hmm. the rules that her parents put down. She's trying to please them, maybe to get noticed, right? If I if I do everything they say and I'm a good girl and I get their accolade for that, that's something. That's a form of love that they'll show me. But clearly she's never tried acting out before. So Sheila comes and sits next to her and she's like, I understand. And Willow says, no, you don't. This may be hard for you to accept, but I can do stuff. Nothing bad or dangerous, but I can do spells. And Sheila's like, that's what worries me, honey. The delusions. (laughs) 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 And um, Willow says, mom, how would you know what I can do? The last time we had a convo over three minutes, it was about the patriarchal bias of the Mr. Rogers show. (laughs) And Sheila gets really upset here. She's like, well, with King Friday lording it over all the lesser puppets. It's like such a random thing to say. Also, this (laughs) suggests that they haven't had a serious conversation since Willow was much younger. (laughs) Yeah, and watching Mr. Rogers. And Willow says, Mom, you're not paying attention. And again, Sheila proves that by cutting her off and saying, this is your way of trying to get it. Sheila's consulted with her colleagues, her colleagues, and they agreed that this is a cry for discipline and Willow is grounded. Now, I had to pause there because I was like, Sheila talked to her colleagues at the university or at whatever, you know, academic land that she's in. She didn't consult with Willow's father. She didn't consult with her sister or one of Willow's friends, like a friend. She talked to her academic colleagues about what Willow could be going through and how the best way to deal and discipline it would be. And I find that so fascinating. And like, we just have to look at mothers, right? And mothers in the show because of the biggest example of motherhood we get is Joyce, obviously. And you and I've had many things to say about Joyce and the type of mother she is, the type of woman she is. But now we're meeting another significant mother, and that's Willow's. Clearly, Sheila is very intelligent, and she has an education, but she's depicted as cold and unfeeling and unnurturing and incredibly detached. Whereas Joyce, as fuddy-duddy as she can be, because we assume that she's high all the time, she runs an art gallery, so she has a career, but it's in a more creative space as opposed to an academic space. And I think Mm -hmm. when you think about academic spaces, especially in these old institutions like universities, they tend to be very male-dominated, especially in fields Mm -hmm. like psychology or psychiatry. And... It does not surprise me at all that they would make Willow's mother, who is clearly detached from Willow and not taking mothering as her number one priority because she's intelligent and academic. Like she's obviously chosen Mm. a path of intelligence, therefore she can't be caring. Whereas Joyce is a lot more in tune as much as she can be with Buffy's life and a lot more nurturing and warm, but she doesn't have the type of career or success that Willow's mother does. So it's just like a really interesting play on feminism in this way, right? I love that critique. Um, I really appreciate you bringing that up because I didn't think about it that way, but I agree with you that, yeah, there's something not ideal about how the show is portraying Willow's mom in this way. And I totally understand 
the point they're trying to make and uh, the characterization that they're trying to accomplish for Willow. I get it, but I agree with you. And I, I, I think what this really comes down to, right, is just the we haven't seen enough moms on the show to have that diversity of representations of motherhood, which is its own problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, right, that a show that has so many female characters hasn't really talked much about motherhood yet. And it will be interesting for us to see if that changes as the show goes on. Will we see more depictions of motherhood, better discussions about what it means to be a mother? I, I don't know. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to more comments about that. <laughs> I agree. I hope we get more examples because, yeah, what is the show saying about successful mothers versus nurturing mothers versus, you know, women like Joyce who are at home more often. So back to the most awkward disciplinary conversation ever. (laughs) She's grounding Willow. She's grounding Willow, yeah. (laughs) And Willow's shocked. She's like, this is the first time I've ever done something you don't like and I'm grounded. I'm supposed to mess up. I'm a teenager, remember? This, This reminds me of Mean Girls and how her dad is like, you're, um... What's it called? You're, what's the word? Grounded? Grounded, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's never had to do it before, and he doesn't understand it. And then later, right, later in the movie, he lets her grow out, and her mom's like, you let her do what? And he's like, are they not allowed out when they're grounded? And it's just like, <laughs> I, do a, I do like this idea that sometimes parents are so out of touch with disciplinary methods that are in style at the time right that they're just so bad at it yeah 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 it's so true and well i mean that's because she's an unfeeling bitch so whoa <laughs> well i mean she's too smart to feel that's how you really feel stuff what i will say about sheila what i will give her is i actually really love her voice this actress i find her voice very asmr like i think it's very relaxing um probably because she's like I know you're upset. I hear you. Like, she's very calm. And (laughs) she keeps dismissing what Willow's saying. Willow is, like, trying to get her mother to give a shit. And that's why when she's just like, you're upset. I understand. Like, this is just you acting out, you know? And Willow starts literally acting out. Yeah, she wants mom to get angry, and she's not getting angry. She's like, care about me. So Willow escalates, right? She's like, I'm a rebel. I'm having a rebellion. (laughs) Thanks for announcing it, Willow. You don't need to prove your specialness. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so Willow tries to, like, list all these ways that she's a rebel. She's like, I'm a witch. Um, You know, she's like, I can summon the four elements. Well... Two, but it will be four soon. (laughs) She adds, I'm dating a musician. (laughs) Which, honestly, is probably the most rebellious of all of those things. But, like, Sheila's reaction is my fucking fave. Because that's where she's just like, a willow. (laughs) 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 So good. Which, fair. I mean, fair, right? Like, other than Oz, you know, what other musicians have we seen? Devin, a.k.a. Mitch. Like, can you imagine if Willow were dating him? oh willow god i mean to be fair willow does deserve a himbo like i get what she Mm. sees in oz because he's very smart yeah but i think it would also be funny if willow were with just a complete like airhead jock type because she could just like drag him around like a puppy dog (laughs) fingers Um, crossed let's see if that ever happens yeah so willow's like i worship beelzebub (laughs) which is that it's the funniest name for the devil. Are we in agreement, right? Yes, like of all the yes. names for the devil, Beelzebub's the funniest. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the writers were like sitting around the table, right? And they're like, okay, which name for the devil is she going to say here? And they tried a bunch out and they're like, oh yeah, it's got to be Beelzebub. Like, how could we forget that one? 
Um, and she's like, do you see any goats around? No, because I sacrificed them. <laughs> all bow before satan and she's just going so over the top yeah, here and she's losing like, it <laughs> this is the first this is the first time we've actually willow says i'm a teenager and this is the first time we're actually kind of seeing her act like one i mean obviously if the affair yeah. earlier shows her immaturity but we don't we don't see her interact with her parents ever so to see her actually being like really immature here you know like i worship satan and i killed all the goats like i think it's really funny and endearing she says prince of night i summon you come fill me with your black naughty evil and i was just like i i i could have done without those lines willow thank you <laughs> Uh, but she did not want to hear that sheila didn't want to hear that either sheila's like that's enough go to your room and stay there until i say otherwise and we're making some changes i don't want you hanging out with those friends of yours it's clear where this little obsession came from you will not speak to bunny summers ever again i mean that's good because i hear bunny summers is a bad influence oh, bunny summers is such a slut at sunnydale high so question for you stephanie yeah. Do you feel like after this scene is over, you know, Willow goes to her room. I have a theory that Sheila had to go to her bedroom and let off some steam, if you know what I mean. Because, you know, I think she was probably like having to fantasize a little bit about her dark lord and master coming and having his way with her. Because like after all those things that Willow said, I feel like Sheila was just like, okay, I know this is wrong, but <laughs> she's got me really worked up now. Is that a question for me or is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> That's my theory. I don't know what you what you think about that, but I'm I like... never thought about that before. I like to think that for sure, like she had to go, you know, blow off steam in whatever I mean, way. For somebody as buttoned up as Sheila seems, yeah. I feel like she has a really kinky fantasy life. Oh, absolutely. Her and Ira do unspeakable things in their mansion. But um, it's, we cut to Buffy's house and Joyce is saying... <laughs> I don't want you seeing that willow anymore i've spoken with her mother i had no idea her forays into the occult had gone so far and joyce is in their dining room i think and joyce is surrounded by signs of these dead kids um whiteboards like clearly she's this is like her home like the home base of the movement she's got like a computer out like who knew and buffy is accusing her of ordering the raid on the school and Joyce is like, oh, they opened a few lockers. <laughs> She's so cavalier. And Buffy says, they're supposed to be private. And they took all of Giles' books away. And Joyce says, well, he'll get most of them back. Moo just wants to weed out the offensive material. And everything will be returned to Giles soon. And Buffy says, if we're going to solve this, we need those books now. And Joyce is like, sweetie, those books have no place in a public school library, especially now. Any student can waltz in there and get all sorts of ideas. Do you understand how that terrifies me? Um, nobody tell Joyce about the internet. It never. Well, she has her computer. I'm surprised that she's, <laughs> that she's, you know, that she's just doing work on it. <laughs> if anyone. Like, like, this is part of what gets me so worked up when people try to ban books is it's like, you do realize that. There is the internet, and it's pretty easy for kids to access it, like, unless you completely isolate them and become abusive as a parent. Like, your kids are going to find this material themselves. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's out there. They can, they'll find those books. They will find, like, you can't suppress it like this anymore. <laughs> it doesn't work, and you're always going to lose, and... Anyway, I'm going off topic. No, you're Sorry not because rant, but, uh... any no, this makes sense because Joyce actually like what you're saying is um the information's out there no matter what. And Joyce needs to learn how to talk to her child 
or like parents need to learn how to talk to their children on how to interpret the material that they're getting right and like you know be there to answer their questions but Joyce has only been there for Buffy literally this episode where she wanted to go slaying with her so (laughs) Buffy says I hate that these people scared you so much and I get it but you have to let me handle this this is what I do and this is when Joyce gets out of line and she says is it really Is is it Buffy is it really you patrol you slay evil pops up you undo it that's great but is Sunnydale getting any better are they running out of vampires it's not your fault you don't have a plan you just react to things and it's bound to be kind of fruitless she says more but small point here is that I was thinking about like you don't have a plan and you know Buffy addresses it and says I don't have a plan so maybe next time the world is getting sucked into hell I won't be able to stop it because the anti-hell sucking book isn't in the approved reading list right but I was like you know I wonder why Buffy and the Scoobies don't have more of a plan they are very reactive not proactive (laughs) and I was like there's so many things I mean they've got a lot on their plate to be fair and they also don't know that the big bad of this season is the mayor. Nobody's told them that yet. So True. But th- there's little things. There's little things. Like, look at, like, uh, Joyce has mobilized this group of people who are, like, you know, shady, doing shady things. But they're they're working together and they're accomplishing what they're after. They have a mandate and they're doing it. Buffy and the Scoobies, one small thing that they could do if I was in this group, I'd be like, well, why don't we advocate for cremations? Because there's a lot of vampires rising from the dead in the cemetery And if people would just cremate the bodies, there wouldn't be as many vampires. So there's one little thing that maybe they should write that down. Everyone write that down because we're going to start a campaign very soon. So Buffy has that freak out and Joyce says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put down what you do. And Buffy says, yeah, well, you did. Doesn't matter. I have to go on one of my pointless patrols and react to some vampires if that's all right with Moo. (laughs) So she goes and then before she leaves, she has to say a nice acronym, mom. (laughs) And as she goes, Joyce says, I'm just trying to to make things better. And who is she talking to? She's talking to those two creepy dead kids that are sitting at her table, ghosts perhaps. And they say, you are. There's bad people out there and we can't sleep. Not until you hurt them the way they hurt us. And Joyce is just nodding her head. Creepy. And their makeup is so good, these little kids. So we cut to the playground. Uh, where there's a vigil for the children on the merry-go-round that we learned about. And Buffy is staring at it. And that's when Angel appears. <laughs> like like he's sent from heaven to help her feel better. So he says, hey, and she says, hi. And they hug. And it's actually really sweet. To me, I read that as like, Buffy needed a hug. And her friend came and gave her a hug. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's really nice. <laughs> it's nice that they've grown much closer since their very dramatic fight in amends and she asks how angel's doing because remember he was going to kill himself last time we saw him and he says i'm all right i think i'm better than you right now and he's saying that people are talking about this even to him (laughs) and buffy's like it's strange people die in sunnydale all the time i've never seen anything like this and angel says oh they were children innocent it makes a difference uh they sit together on a bench and buffy says my mom said some things to me about this about being the slayer that it's fruitless no fruit for buffy (laughs) and angel says that she's wrong and buffy says but is she because is sunnydale any better than when i first came here i battle evil but i don't really win the bad keeps coming back and getting stronger like that boy that stuck his finger in the duck (laughs) 
<laughs> and Angel says dyke. <laughs> you know, it's another word for dam. And Angel says he's still figuring things out. There's a lot of things that he doesn't understand. But I do know that it's important to keep fighting. I learned that from you. Aww. So obviously, you know, this show is calling back to um, the previous episode and Buffy talking Angel down quite literally. But I think it's also calling back to the wish, you know, because that episode demonstrated that Buffy is making a difference. Um, We now know definitively, and I know Buffy doesn't know this because she's not privy to that experience, but we the viewers understand that Buffy is incorrect here and she is making a difference. Yeah, and I I think, I mean, I like that it's Angel who's reminding Buffy this is what heroes do, you know what I mean? Like, this is what you and I are all about. This is our, our vibe. So... Buffy is saying, but we never, uh, we never win, not completely. And Angel says, we never will, but that's not why we fight. We do it because there's things worth fighting for. Those kids, their parents. And Buffy focuses on him saying their parents. And Angel says, I know it's not much. And Buffy says, no. Light bulb. Yeah, I just, I really like this little tiny scene because, you know, they had such an important episode together last week that it was important to see Angel in this episode to see that carry on and like, how is he doing? Like, did he end up killing himself the next day? Like, look, turns out Buffy got through to him and he listened to her. And I think that's really great. Cut to the library where Giles is yelling at his computer because he's a man and the computer's not working and he's going to yell at it, his frustration. Well, he's, he's also, you know, older. And <laughs> this is a callback to season two, the tension between him and Jenny. He doesn't like the computer. And to be fair, like the first time Giles tried using a computer in the library, it ended up containing the soul of a demon, praise Moloch. Um, so I get it. I get his resistance. <laughs> um, so here in this scene, I think Xander has a couple good jokes. But Xander and Oz come in and they say they found his books, but we can't get them. They're locked at City Hall. And Xander makes a joke that Giles has, is on Frisky Watcher's chat room. <laughs> I don't like that joke. I think okay. it's very inappropriate for a teenage boy to imply that a teacher at the school is on a, like a like a sexual chat room at school, right? Like, it's, fair. Ugh, it's gross. It grosses no, me fair enough, fair enough. But like, um, I, I admire the creativity of that line. <laughs> so Buffy comes in and says, what do we know about these kids? Facts, details, where do they co- go to school? Who were their parents? What were their names? She's like, we know everything about their death, but we don't know their names. And Oz says it never came up, ever. So Buffy said, if no one knew who they are, then where did these pictures come from? And Giles said, I just assume someone had the details. He says, someone else look on the computer into this because this thing locked me out. And Xander says, well, if you wouldn't yell at it. And that also I thought was a good joke. And Oz sits down. (laughs) I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And Oz sits down. He says, I can look around, but Willow would really know where this, know the sites we need. And this is a callback to like seasons one and two, when apparently Willow was the Mm. only person who knew how to work a computer. When I think Oz, who was going to be recruited by a computer company, would be able to do this kind of work just as easily. Right, but but he is able to do it, right? But he's just saying she has more specialized knowledge, right? Like in terms of researching, because she got so good at breaking into the city archives and researching dead bodies in Sunnydale, right? Like, yeah. that was her thing. The, the coroner's office. <laughs> Giles kept telling her to do that. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and Buffy's like, compile a list of dead people for me, please. <laughs> yeah. like, missing you know, girls. So, missing so or Oz dead girls. can use a computer, but Willow is an <laughs> expert in this particular subject. <laughs> I know. And Buffy says she can't even come to the phone because of the wrath of Moo. And Oz says, we don't need a phone. And of course, we cut to Willow's room and her computer beeps. She logs in. They all do research together. And Willow... Okay, when you're grounded, Stephanie, do you not lose access to your computer? and stuff well i never had a computer when i was in high school like i had we had our family computer downstairs i I do find this this scene is a little anachronistic like willow's got her it's a bulky laptop but it's on her bed yeah does she have wi-fi like i feel like wi-fi was not that common at that point is her computer like is her laptop using a cell signal like i'm just kind of like what's going like what's going on here i know it's not important to the scene but it is for me as somebody who's a couple decades removed from it i'm just like okay that was a little bit smoother i would have expected like 15 minutes of dialing in and then kind of like chatting on im and like the connection dropping and stuff and then they'd be like okay we're ready to go remember the first time we saw willow's room in in i robot eugene in the moloch episode praise uh she had a desktop Right. She had a. Right. She's a upgraded. Nor- yeah. She's upgraded to a laptop. And we saw her computer in her room in season two as well and lie to me. So like this girl, like every year gets a little upgrade. It's nice. Um, so, yeah, they're all doing research together. She finds an article. No problem of about of two dead children with mysterious marks that died in Omaha in 1949. And when it loads, the picture loads. It's <gasps> the little boy and girl from present but 50 years ago and then they find another article from 1899 in utah two children community torn apart by suspicion and they've never been seen alive these kids just dead a lot and there are more articles every 50 years all the way back to 1649 and the names of the children back in 1649 were greta strauss and Hans Strauss, age six and eight. So <laughs> that's when Sheila comes into the into Willow's room and it's like, Willow, I thought I made myself clear. You're not minding me. And she shuts her computer and takes it away. And she's like, I know what you're doing. You're challenging me, but I will not have you communicating with your cyber coven or what have you. And Willow's like, okay, so like, well, what happened to it being delusional and acting out? And Sheila said, that was before I talked to Miss Summers and her associates. <laughs> associates is a funny way to to phrase her mob friends and note here that sheila calls her miss summers not mrs summers and i i i noticed that so clearly in my mind because a part of me was like is summers joyce's maiden name are you sure it's not ms though ms ms perhaps okay yeah it's just the way she said it out because for someone who's so academic i feel like when we saw buffy's dad he said his name was hank summers yeah i I think so too but that's why i was like well why would you say miss and not like mrs but you're right but i mean that's a valid question is what is joyce's maiden name we don't find this out writers you're failing us again (laughs) we want to know everything about her what's her social security number maybe her middle name's buffy and that's where she got the name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to name her daughter. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, so Sheila says, I've been rather closed minded. And Willow says, oh, you believe me. And Sheila's like, I believe you, dear. Now all I can do is let you go with love. And then she shuts the door and locks it. What? So 
At the library, Giles is saying there's a fringe theory held by a few folklorists that some regional stories have actual very literal antecedents. And Oz says fairy tales are real. And Buffy's like, Hansel and Gretel, obviously. And Xander's like, wait, breadcrumbs, ovens, gingerbread house? And Giles says, of course, it's all making sense now. And this is where the story lost me a little bit. And this is where the gingerbread part comes in. Because so, so. Mm-hmm. Giles says some demons thrive by fostering hatred and persecution among the moral animals, not by destroying them, but by watching men destroy each other. They feed us our darkest fear and turn peaceful communities into vigilantes. So Buffy says Hansel and Gretel run home to tell everyone about the mean old witch, and she and probably dozens of others, says Giles, are persecuted by a righteous mob. It happens all throughout history. It happened in Salem. So... I think what confused me about this and why like Hansel and Gretel like become a thing or like why this is like an element Mm -hmm. of the story here is because that's not really the story of Hansel and Gretel, right? They're like kicked out of their home and they go to this witch's house and they destroy her after she tries to eat them. But like them running home and telling the village, like they don't come and destroy her as far as I know. But obviously this is based on like an older tale. Yeah. It's loose to me. It's very loose. All all fairy tales change over time, right? And they have different tellings and stuff the one i've most often heard for hansel and gretel is that they are the ones who shove the witch into the oven right but i i think the point here right is the the tale itself hansel and gretel their real life experience um was enough to sort of start fueling that persecution so to me the idea of gingerbread as the title is that it's this connection to this idea of stories and, and fairy tales and I, I agree that the the title itself is probably a little bit of a stretch, but <laughs> yeah. I can see what they're saying here about how, you know, in this case, it's it's like an evil story almost, which kind of intrigues me. Yeah. Right? Like the bad. I, it, honestly, the part that confused me was when the two children turn into a hairy naked demon at the end. <laughs> so. Well, I have questions when we get to that point. Yeah, like, like again, I get why they call it gingerbread. I, I, I kind of understand this connection. I just think it's loosey goosey. I think, like, okay, sure. I think you could have did it without the fairy tale element at all, if anything. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. Yeah, but I do like that they talk about Salem. Um, I've been to Salem twice. I'm obsessed. The Salem witch trials is what <laughs> they're referring to with the persecution and the righteous mob. Awesome callback to history there. So. Oz says, well, what will we do? And Xander says, and I, I don't, I liked this joke. Xander says, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go trade my cow in for some beans. <laughs> I laughed. Yes, that, I agree. That, that's another funny yeah. joke. Yeah. And Buffy says she has to go talk to her mom so she can diffuse the whole thing. And that's when Michael, the man witch, runs in bleeding and says, I was attacked by my dad and his friends. And they're taking people out of their homes. They're talking about a trial at City Hall and they've got Amy. And Buffy says, Michael, you stay here and hide. Giles and Buffy will go find her mom. Xander and Oz go to save Willow. And I just had to pause here for a second because I actually felt really bad for Michael when he said his dad attacked him. You know, his dad and his dad's mm. friends because there's there's a, a much deeper meaning behind that too because, you know, I'm calling Michael a man witch, but the point is, is that he is more on the feminine side than masculine traditionally. He's got his makeup and his 
yeah, nails painted. This is a metaphor for being gender non-conforming yeah. or having an ambiguous sexuality, not fitting in, mm-hmm. and the bullying that happens, not just at school, but like you're saying, at home. sometimes at home too. It's so sad. And it's like a very small, this is like the last time we see Michael, but... I felt a little pang of sadness for him. I'm like, it sucks that he has to go hide in Giles' office. And did they even bother at the end of the episode to go and tell Michael to go home? It's okay now? Or was he too no, scared to go No, that's why we home? never see him again. He never comes out. He's, <laughs> He's just stuck there. He's like, hello. <laughs> Do you remember where Marcy lived um, with the invisible girl? Yeah. <laughs> He's like yeah. up in her little hideaway. Um, oh, that's sad. So <laughs> in Willow's room... The door is unlocked and Sheila's there with some community members. And she's like, time to go. Oh, and get your coat. It's chilly out. (laughs) And Willow says, go where? And she says, I said, get your coat, witch. And I was like, whoa, this escalated very quickly. So Willow tries to shut the door on them, but they barge in. That's when we cut to the Summer's house where Joyce is having um, a group of people over and they're discussing their next moves. And Buffy and Giles come in and Buffy's like, Mom, I need to talk to you alone. So Joyce walks up and as she walks toward Buffy, she puts a cloth over Buffy's mouth who falls to the (sighs) ground. And like a bunch of people grab Giles and also put a cloth over his mouth. Oh, shocking. And Joyce says, you were right. It was easy. And she's talking to the kids, the ghost kids, who are behind her. And the boy is holding a bottle of chloroform. What the fuck? It's really like, so are they manifesting all of this stuff? Like the signs and everything? Or did she get that from the hospital? Like, how did she get her hands on chloroform? I don't know. But like, you remember, like, we talked about chloroform. The back in I, Robot You, Jane. Like, we keep bringing this episode up because it was the best episode. Because it doesn't actually work the way we see it on TV, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, they must have left, I mean, what's his name? Fritz? He must have left that can of chloroform (laughs) nearby and Joyce just happened upon it to get high off once in a while. Oh my god. So anyway, the the kids are like, I told you, it it gets even easier, but I'm still scared of the bad girls. You have to stop them. You have to make them go away forever. <laughs> Cut to Willow's room, Oz and Xander run in. There was obviously a big scuffle in there, so they run out. And at City Hall, the mob is standing with torches, and Buffy and Willow and Amy are tied to stakes with books surrounding their feet. I did find it very efficient that they're going to burn all the books and the witches all at once. I didn't Mm -hmm. find it efficient that they decided to do it inside City Hall. (laughs) I mean, the smoke inhalation and smoke damage is going to be awful. It's going to like that's going to offset the the savings cost of doing both at once from like a, a, a city city management point of view. I would say that, but. My theory is maybe it was going to rain that night and they just, you know, they didn't, didn't want to postpone it for the next day. So, yeah. And they also like clearly we see later they lock themselves in that room with the fire. And I was like, you guys. But maybe that's what the children want, right? Like maybe it's this whole thing. So here's my question is like, how far is the mayor willing to let this go? Because normally he's all about no evil in my town unless it's my evil. Yeah. And he seems to be really on board with this. It's very strange. So... At Buffy's, Cordelia is smacking Giles' face. And she's like, wake up, wake up. And she's like hitting him. And when he does wake up, she says, took you long enough to wake up? My hand hurts. <laughs> so Giles is kind of out of it. He's like, why are you here? And she says, Giles, things are way out of control. 
first that thing at school. Then my mom confiscates all my black clothes and scented candles. I came over here to tell Buffy to stop this craziness and found you unconscious again. And then she says, how many times have you been knocked out anyway? I swear, one of these days you're going to wake up in a coma. (laughs) I love this. I love this whole speech. You know, Cordy has her priorities. And earlier, right, she's like, I want nothing to do with Buffy. And of course, the moment weirdness happens, she's crawling back to Buffy. She's like, Buffy, this is your responsibility. (laughs) Do something. And then, and then... She hangs a lampshade on the one thing we've been hammering at from season one is how many times has Giles been knocked out mm-hmm. and how serious that is. <laughs> has Cordelia been listening to our podcast? <laughs> We're so influential. And Giles is so annoyed when she says, wake up in a coma. But he just lets it go and he says, we have to go help Buffy, save Buffy from Hansel and Gretel. And Cordelia's like, so let's be clear. The brain damage happened before I hit you. <laughs> That's right, Cordy. Cover your ass. (laughs) Yeah, she's so fucking smart. So Xander and Oz are entering City Hall. And this is another joke that I thought was really funny from Xander. Where there's a group of men guarding the door. Because like I said, it's locked. And Xander's like, well, what's with the Grimm? We're here to join you guys. Why should you have all the fun? We want to be part of the hate. (laughs) And Oz is just like, just so we're clear, you guys know that you're nuts, right? And then they get chased away. So Buffy's waking up. And Joyce is in front of her and she says, good morning, sleepyhead. And Buffy starts saying, mom, you don't want to do this. And Joyce says, since when does it matter what I want? I wanted a normal, happy daughter. Instead, I got a slayer. And this is not the first time we've heard this sentiment from Joyce. This whole season, Joyce has been struggling, Mm -hmm. right? Struggling with the idea that her daughter has a destiny. and 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 I have a question, which is, to what extent are these children putting thoughts in these parents' heads versus amplifying existing thoughts that are there, right? So is this bringing out these latent reservations that Joyce has and just amplifying them? Is this bringing out Sheila's underlying discomfort with the occult from her research? Or is it just, or, or are the kids really just kind of like transforming these adults into you know, persecution robots. Like that's something that's interesting to think about for me is where are these thoughts coming from? Yeah, I love that question. I For me, um, I I think it's to your first point that it's amplifying things that they're already thinking and making it worse for them to make them act on it because creating memories and creating worries is a lot harder to do than to just jump on what's already there. And remember, last time Joyce was under the influence on camera, (laughs) uh, it was in band candy. And she said to Buffy there, well, like, you get to do whatever you want to do because you're the Slayer. So I want to get some candy. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's, this is part of Joyce's personality now, her part of her um, journey this season. And this is so funny. So Sheila hands Joyce a torch. (laughs) And Joyce says, this has been so trying. You've been so such a champ and Sheila's like oh you too Joyce and Joyce is like we should stay close have lunch and Sheila's like oh I'd like that how nice <laughs> spoiler alert they don't <laughs> but they're saying this as they literally are lighting a fire that will burn their daughters at the stake it's so right, dark but this it's dark but again this feels real to life for me because that's what people who want to burn books would be like especially white women right and i say this as a white woman i'm coming to collect y'all like (laughs) 
because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. Even if it came down to punishing their own daughters for deviation, they would chat about it and have lunch afterwards because, you know, I, I just finished reading a book called uh, They Were Her Property by Stephanie Rogers Jones, which talks about white women who own slaves in the American South, right? And it's like people are capable of incredible darkness and in incredible atrocity towards other human beings while also putting on this patina of civilization because that's how we rationalize it. So yeah. I found that incredibly realistic. It's realistic and terrifying. We all have that potential inside of us for our privilege to cause us to act civil and polite in one way while simultaneously right perpetuating oppression against a group of people and actively harming people. So you got to call it out when you see it. Absolutely. Um, so we're calling you out, Sheila and Joyce. This is a, a terrible stuff. So they start to light the books on fire. And Amy says, all right, you want to fry a witch? I'll give you a witch. And she starts doing a spell. She's like, goddess Hecate, work thy will. And lights are floating around her face and her eyes are turning black. And she says, before thee, let the unclean thing crawl. And she transforms into a rat and scuttles away. And Buffy says, she couldn't do us first? And I agree. I was like, Amy, you just left Buffy <laughs> and Willow to die. Yeah. Willow should have been nicer about her mom earlier in the episode. I don't know. So... Willow says, you've seen what we can do. Another step and you will all feel my power. It's a really big power. <laughs> and Buffy's like, this is my favorite line in the episode. Buffy's like, uh, yes, you will all be turned into vermin. And some of you will be fish. Yeah, you in the back <laughs> will be fish. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's such a Buffy thing to say. And... <laughs> And one guy actually looks worried. Like, he's focused in on this one old man. He's like, oh, God, maybe we should go. And then the two kids are literally standing in the front of this mob, and they're saying, but you promised you have to kill the bad girls. And this is when Cordelia and Giles are in her ca his car, and Cordelia's putting together a concoction while Giles drives, and he's trying to remember a German incantation. And the exposition here is that the incantation is about lifting a veil, and it should make the demon appear in its true form and negate its influence, of course. So Cordelia realizes she's holding the inside of a toad, and she's like, I hate you. <laughs> so Xander and Oz have apparently outrun and outsmarted the men that were chasing them and they hear willow screaming so they start crawling in through a vent just chaos i, I like the end of this episode a lot because so much is happening um the fire is getting larger and the little kids are like burn them they hurt us and buffy says mom dead people are talking to you do the math <laughs> And Joyce is just like, I'm sorry. And Buffy's pleading with her. You know, she's like, you're not gonna be able to live with yourself if you do this. And Joyce is like, you earned this. You've toyed with unnatural forces. What kind of mother would I be if I didn't punish you? Now, I think that is the demon influence talking at this point. And Giles and Cordelia are now at City Hall. They're trying to break into the room. Giles grabs Cordelia's hair clip from her head. He takes hair with it, by the way. And he starts to jimmy the, the lock. And Cordelia's like, God, you really were the little youthful offender, weren't you? You must look back on that and cringe. <laughs> Cordelia's so funny. So Willow and Buffy... They're about to be burned alive. And, w and when they do the long shot of the whole room, Buffy and Willow burning at the stake with all the fire and the people, it's very clear that those are stump doubles. 
um i just had to point that out because i could i couldn't look away i was like that is so not those actresses and <laughs> giles and cordy break in cordelia the badass that she is breaks the fire hose case with her elbow she's like smashes the the glass and right? pulls out the fire hose and starts spraying the people <laughs> And she's like, you like that? How about some more? And Giles is doing the spell in German. And uh, Willow screams that she's on fire. And Buffy's like, Cordelia, put out the fire. So Cordelia's watering down all the, the fire, the books that are on fire. And once it's out, the two little kids start walking toward Giles, who finishes the spell, breaks the concoction or potion at their feet. And the two children just look at each other, hug. And then morph into a giant demon, like a huge eight foot demon with like fangs and red eyes. Joyce is in shock. And the, the demon's still saying, protect us, kill the bad girls. And Buffy's like, you know what? Not as convincing in that outfit. <laughs> right. So like, why? Like, this is what I don't get about this episode is what is going on here? Why? I, I, I mean, I understand Giles did explain it previously i i get that i didn't miss that part i'm just like why yeah it, it there was nothing else to do it's like how else are they going to come together and become this giant demon and just um, a little random right yeah it for sure well this whole episode a little bit random the demon starts running toward buffy who bends over snapping the post in half and all we hear is like the smush noise and buffy's leaning forward and she's just like did i get it did i get it and I love it. I think and that's hilarious. It's so funny. And we tr- we pull back and the post is directly through the demon's neck. And that's when Oz and Xander fall through the roof. And Oz just says, we're here to save you. <laughs> First off, ow, that would have hurt. Oh, so far to fall. Uh, secondly, typical men, right? They come to rescue you. The women have already done all the work. Seriously. And say no more. At Willow's house, Buffy and Willow are doing spell stuff. And Buffy asks if her mom minds that Willow is doing this in the house. And Willow says she doesn't know. And Buffy says, is this back to business as usual? And Willow says, yeah, she's doing that selective memory thing that your mom used to do (laughs) that she used to be so good at. Oh, yeah. But she remembers that part where I said I was dating a musician. So Oz is going to go to dinner next week. And that's sort of like she's taking an interest. And Buffy just says nothing to that. She's like, okay, should we try the spell again? So clearly they've been trying to do a spell for a couple of hours, I assume. And Willow starts saying the spell. She says, Diana, Hecate, I hereby license thee to depart. Goddess of creatures, great and small, conjure thee to withdraw. And there's music playing at the time, but it stops. Nothing happens. We look down and Amy the rat is on the floor and very clearly still a rat. So it pans up to Buffy's face and she's just like, maybe we should get her one of those wheel thingies. (laughs) And the episode cuts (laughs) to black. Oh, wow. Wow. So I I do want to say one thing that I think this episode is severely lacking and it would have helped it make sense. It would have helped bring the episode home because here we just, oh, everything's back to normal, except now Willow's mom knows that she has a musician boyfriend. But both these mothers tried to burn their daughters at the stake. And you had said earlier, like, are they being influenced by the demon? Is it acting on old impulses that they already have or old thoughts that they're, they've been harboring on their own? Mm-hmm. I was thinking when you said that back to the pack and how we were talking about the hyena spirit and how it was just acting on impulses that Xander already had and it heightened them. So the same thing in this situation where 
I think we as the audience, because possibly it happened behind the scenes, but we as an audience deserve to see Joyce and Buffy talking about what happened. Joyce saying, look, I'm struggling with you being a slayer. I think that's very clear, but... I love you no matter what. And I can't believe this happened. I'm so sorry. Like, obviously we know that she was possessed or she was influenced. But again, that does not erase the trauma of your mother trying to burn you at the stake. Just like we didn't let Xander off the hook for not apologizing for trying to rape her when he was under the influence of a hyena spirit. So it might have happened off screen. I guess we'll never know. But we deserved that conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. So who's your hero? (laughs) Um, I think it's pretty clear cut. It's got to be Cordelia and Giles. Mm -hmm. They were there when they needed to be there. They were very active at, you know, saving everybody. Cordelia stepping up once again, despite not wanting to be part of the gang. I love to see it. I love to see it too. Um, I chose Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. Guy shows up for one scene and gets credit for the whole episode. All right, staff. He's the one that said parents. And that was when Buffy was like, ding. And the rest of the episode That's unfolded. That's fair. I understand. He also gave her a pretty good hero pep talk, and you need that once in a while. Especially when his, her mom just said, what you're doing is pointless. And Angel's like, no, yeah. you have a purpose. You matter. And like, come on. Like, and he's so Aww. handsome. Like, he gets it. He gets the hero. <laughs> interesting episode. I like this episode a lot. Um, I, I can't explain it. I think it's funny. I find it interesting. Lots of great memorable lines. You don't, you don't have to justify liking the episode, Stephanie. You are allowed to like whatever episodes you like. Carl, let me like what I want, okay? Exactly. <laughs> Let's get to our hot steaks. We got two today, right? We do. So the first one is from Ash, who emailed us to talk about Faith and the episode Revelations. And actually, this hot steak really made me rethink a lot of things that we've said about Faith. By the way, where was Faith in this episode? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, we. It, it just really made me think back to this scene with Faith. So Ash is saying, I absolutely read Faith as being romantically interested in Buffy. She says, even as an adult queer woman, I sometimes have a hard time knowing if another woman is just flirting with me in a friend way or is romantically interested. As a teenager, I had what I believed to be a six-month relationship with a girl only to find out we were actually friends when she suddenly had a boyfriend. Sucks, I know. So when Faith found out that What's his name broke up with Buffy. <laughs> she's, I think she's talking about Scott. Remember Scott? So asking her to go to homecoming with the, we can have some boys to discard them. That's gay code, girl gay code for, I would like to kiss you. And uh, the flirty, really, we're just good friends comment from Buffy. Then Faith finds out that she has a secret boyfriend in Angel. However, subtextual, that pain was so relatable and my reading of the relationship in that way is only strengthened throughout the rest of season three, especially in Bad Girls. Also, Eliza Dushku said herself that Faith has the hots for Buffy in an interview. So it's basically canon. I really like that Ash pointed this out because when I thought back to Revelations and that whole scene and like, remember you and I were saying like, why is Faith so upset with Buffy? Right. Like, and why is Faith like asking about Buffy's relationships and stuff? Like, Mm -hmm. I thought she was trying to relate to her on a boy level. But what Mm. Ash is saying, I think makes way more sense that Faith actually kind of thought her and Buffy were like vibing. And I think that's really cool and explains. Yeah. and, And I really am appreciating all of our listeners who are queer in some way pointing this out and and bringing up these kinds of observations in these different readings of these characters because 
it, like some of these readings are just that, right? Like Ash was saying, they're subtext. Yeah. We're interpreting it. It's queer coded, but it's not explicit in the show because of the times in which the show was made. And so that makes things a little difficult for me as an aromantic person. I have a really hard time recognizing those subtleties, kind of like what Ash was saying in sense of like having a hard time if there was a another woman flirting with them, right? Because I have I have the same experience personally. I don't know when people are flirting with me. And in TV shows, if two characters aren't like making eyes at each other and kissing, I don't always pick up on romantic cues. And I'm just like, oh, they're really good friends. Mm -hmm. So I'm into the queer readings, but I don't always detect it. And I appreciate all of you bi and pan and fellow ace people um, and gay people and lesbian people like come in here with these hot stakes. Talk about your queer relationship with this show, please, because you're always giving us such interesting perspectives. Yes. Thanks so much, Ash. That was great. Our second hot stake is from Mel Melilani. Uh, I want to point out that this episode gives us something we've not gotten before. Oh, sorry. This is about the episode Lover's Walk. <laughs> we get to see Buffy, Spike, and Angel, not Angelus, having a conversation. I find this incredibly interesting, especially given how each person has such good chemistry with the other two. And considering everyone's history with each other, that this hasn't really happened before. I have rewatched the series more times than I can count at this point, and it's only in the past year that I realized this. Thank you. Uh, I agree with you. That's one of the things I like about this show is every rewatch brings you new things to realize. Yeah, and we do love like when different characters pair up with each other, different yeah. pairings, right? And like it's true, Buffy, Spike, and Angel together in that episode was fire. And I hope we get more of it, but it sounds like we're not, you know. Um, and that's such a great dynamic to have. So maybe there's a little bit of a missed opportunity there. All right. Well, thank you for everybody who's sending in their hot steaks. Keep them coming. And thank you to our Buy Me A Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones, Lizzie, Emma, Hannah, and Tara. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.